I can't recall the last time an 8-0 team got so little respect. Yes, you can win a Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo. That front gets pressure, collapses the pocket, and wrecks quarterbacks. is the Faithful Fanatic Podcast with Nick and Marco. We're heading into our second consecutive Victory Monday. The 49ers take care of business against the New York Giants, beating them 36-9. It caps off a very successful road trip going to the East Coast, beating the Jets, beating the Giants on back-to-back weeks. Nick Mullins is the star of the show today. But what was very compelling for me to watch throughout this game and very motivating, very inspiring was just how well all the undrafted free agents play together. If you take a look at the 49ers roster and who was active today, there were 16 undrafted free agents on the field today, all contributing for the 49ers. A bunch of guys that were overlooked heading into the NFL really contributed so heavily to this game today. Nick Mullins, Jeff Wilson Jr., Jamichael Hasty, Kendrick Bourne, Ross Dwelly, Dan Brunskill, Ben Garland, Kevin Givens. Like this list just keeps going on and on and on. Kerry Hyder, Aziz Alshair, Demetrius Flanagan Foles. You got Kwan Williams, Emmanuel Mosley, and then Robbie Gold, who's been around a while, and the undrafted free agent that had the toughest time today, Kyle Nelson, the long snapper. Nick Mullins is going to get all the credit here, but it was very moving for me personally to see all these undrafted free agents contribute to such a convincing win. The 49ers curb stomped the Giants. Yeah, and that that speaks really highly of the coaching staff. speaks highly of Kyle Shanahan's system, Robert Sala, what he's doing on his side of the um, defense. And it just goes on with how they've built this organization. They've built it on hard work is going to produce wins. Hard work is going to get you on the field. When you have undrafted guys like that, you probably named off 10 of them or about. About when you 16. Have that, 16. Perfect. So when, you, when, you, when you're naming off 16 guys, it's like, whoa, these are all the guys that are the depth of the 49ers organization. So when it comes to undrafted guys and you need to have your undrafted guys be the ones contributing, especially when you're having to pay big contracts coming soon, that is a very, very big thing for me to see moving forward. Before we talk about the star undrafted free agent of them all, Nick Mullins, let's take a look at some of the other guys that went undrafted that are contributing on offense, starting with Jeff Wilson Jr. He had close to 70 yards from scrimmage today, scored two touchdowns. The guy really, whenever he plays, just gets the ball into the end zone, had a receiving touchdown on a screen, had a rushing touchdown. And then we saw our first glimpse of Jamichael Hasty. I was talking to a good friend of mine, Joe Shasky from 95.7 The Game, Butcher Boy. He compared Jamichael Hasty to Kendall Hunter. And I personally love that comparison. Hunter went to Oklahoma State. You have Hasty coming out of Baylor. I can see the similarities there as far as the movements. Just seeing the three touches, I believe, that Hasty had. He had a reception and two carries. You can see Kendall Hunter and Jamichael Hasty. Yeah, you could you you do I do see Kendall Hunter. You see the shiftiness that they both carry. 
And the thing with when I seen Jamichael Hasty get on the field in his first uh, first snap, he gets a, a catch. Like, whoa, okay, you can line him up into the slot and have him do his thing. Um, he carried the ball pretty well. There's a few times where he's getting a little shifty on people. So it's good to see. It's good to see that the 49ers could keep bringing in undrafted running backs and have them produce. Jeff Wilson Jr. for me, if they decide to to cut a running back because they're going to have to do something to keep Jamichael Hasty Tevin else, Coleman, look out. And that's exactly where I was going to because if you look at Jamichael Hasty, another team's going to pick him up. He he showed enough on the field in his limited reps for another team to pick him up, in my opinion. So the guy that I point to, like you just said, is Tevin Coleman. You better be looking out because Jeff Wilson Jr. could do your job, and I think he could do it better. So Tevin Coleman, ever since he had that breakout performance, breakout in terms of what he's done with the 49ers last year against the Panthers, he rushed for like 100 yards, had four total touchdowns. From that moment up until this point, he's averaged like 3.3 yards per carry. I don't know what's going on with Tevin Coleman, but Jeff Wilson Jr. looks good. Even though they traded Matt Breida, the 49ers stable of running backs still looks very, very good. Moving on to some more undrafted free agents who contributed today, Kendrick Bourne. This is his fourth year on the team. He's the wily veteran in the receiver group right now. I know the team picked up Mohamed Sanu, but Kendrick Bourne has played in Kyle Shanahan's system longer than any other receiver on the team. He was second in receiving yards today, I believe right behind Brandon Ayuk, who had his breakout performance, will get into Ayuk later on. And then a couple offense alignment. Dan Brunskill, he's been playing so-so. He looked much better playing tackle last year, I believe, opposed to him playing on the interior of the offensive line. And Ben would Garland, ag- oh, go ahead. I would agree on that, and, and it's something that I want to talk about a little bit later um, touch on because that right side of that offensive line looks horrendous right now. In pass protection especially. And Ben Garland, he had a couple big blocks that sprung the 49ers free for touchdowns on a couple screen plays, him getting out in front, just busting down the field. So they're – on the offensive side and defensive side of the ball, there's guys all over who were undrafted, contributing heavily and stepping up despite all the 49ers injuries. Let's keep things on the offensive side of the ball, talking about the return of BDN. How good did Nick Mullins look today? He looked really fantastic. I was off. I mean, the last week, Nick Mullins didn't look too well when he came in. But with the week of preparation, he looked fantastic. His touch he has on throws, the velocity he has, he just looked really good. He was on top of everything. We went an entire game without punting the ball. That That's speaks wild. a lot. That speaks a lot on the quarterback and Kyle Shanahan and, and something to, to go with. I like how Nick Mullins looked super-duper calm in the pocket. Mullins was great. And I talked about a, a personal key of mine going into this game was let Nick Mullins be BDN. Give him full reins of the offense. Don't hold back because he's your backup quarterback. And you got to credit Kyle Shanahan because I truly feel like he did that. He put the game in Nick Mullins' hands. And look what he did. He completed 26 of 35 pass attempts, I believe. Had over 340 yards, threw a touchdown, was very solid on third down. Nick Mullins played a phenomenal game. Yeah, he did. And the thing I noticed with the offense and why it was clicking so much, it looked like Kyle Shanahan allowed for him to use the entire playbook. And it, sometimes it, when Jimmy's on the field, I start to think is 
does Kyle allow him to use the entire offense? Does he allow him to give – does he give Jimmy the keys to the offense like he did Nick Mullins today? That's a fair question to raise. You know, and I was talking to a few others throughout the day that suggested Kyle Shanahan trusts Nick Mullins more. He gives Nick Mullins a longer leash, just gives him a more variety of the play calling and allows him to do more. So it's going to be very interesting to follow this storyline of Nick Mullins and Jimmy Garoppolo. We'll get in to next week against the Eagles and who the quarterback should be moving forward, all things considered. No, there's not quite the quarterback controversy just yet, but Mullins played exceptionally well today, exceeded a lot of expectations. I predicted that he was going to throw for 300 yards. So Mullins looked good. I liked how he spread the ball around. He completed passes to over 10 different receivers, had a lot had a lot of success on third downs throwing to different guys. Kendrick Bourne, Jarek McKinnon, Jeff Wilson Jr., Jordan Reed. The list goes on and on. Very good day for Nick Mullins. And now let's talk about a player that was actually drafted, not an undrafted free agent, great story, but a first-round pick, Brandon Ayuk. Woo-wee, man. Brandon Ayuk is going to be special. Every time he touches the ball, I feel like he could take it to the house. On one of his slants, I thought he was going to take off. I right. thought he was just going to – he was cutting across the field, and I thought he was just going to take off. He ended up getting tackled. But Brandon Ayuk with Debo Samuel in this offense – it's going to be really, 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 really fun because now Kyle Shanahan has someone who could is a legit receiver, but is also a legit gadget kind of guy who could actually run yes. the ball like Debo Samuel. So that's what I'm excited about. I'm just thinking about seeing Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk on the field together, and my mind just explodes thinking, what's Kyle Shanahan going to do with these two guys who are interchangeable? Their playing style is extremely similar. They both excel yards after the catch. When this offense is fully healthy, the sky's truly the limit. They have one of the most potent offenses in the game. You're going to have Raheem Mostert, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, Coleman, who we talked about who has been struggling. You have Jarek McKinnon, who's another guy that's been an absolute stud, making plays in the running game, making plays through the air. He had a great diving catch. I'm very impressed with his hands. I knew he was a receiving oh, yeah. back out of the backfield. But the way he went up for that ball going in, I believe it was the second quarter towards the going into halftime, right after the Fred Warner interception, I want to say, he jumped up, high point of the football, came down with it, and then he had a play on a third and two where Mullins was off target, threw it a little bit to his right and behind him, and he just plucked the ball with his hands. I'm very impressed with Jarek McKinnon. What a story he's been as well. Oh, yeah, it, it- when I, I love when Jerry McKinnon is on the field because it just shows when Kyle has his guy, he really knows how to actually use him in on his offense. And Jerry McKinnon is that way. Debo Samuel, when he pull, pulled out in the second round, and it's starting to look like Brandon Ayuk, he's going to use him in certain ways. I love how he allowed Brandon Ayuk to get comfortable last week. Didn't really target him as much, mm-hmm. but he got him into this offense this week and said, hey, we're going to expand your role because once Debo's back, my offense is going to another level. That's a great point. And I like to piggyback off of what you said. He, he being Kyle Shanahan, really got Brandon Ayuk involved early. He had two end arounds within the first four plays of the game. The game plan was clear that we want to get this rookie involved early, get him involved often. The first drive of the third, the third quarter, the second half, he had almost all of the yards for the 49ers on that drive, which ended in his 
end around touchdown. I he got three handoffs today, three handoffs, and he had three receptions on that one drive alone, which ended in him scoring. So his first career touchdown came today. Huge day for Brandon Ayuk, and you can only imagine what this offense is going to look like once they're entirely healthy. That's true because you you don't have George Kittle, you don't have Debo. Jordan Reed went down and this uh, wasn't available in the second half. So it's going to be a real fun offense to, to look forward to because there's no defense in the NFC that it says, okay, that's championship-level defense right now. Before we jump to the defensive side of the ball, you talked about the right side of the offensive line earlier. Let's talk about Mike McGlinchey. He had one horrendous rep today, one specific snap where he was just ragdolled, and I was all over him for it. He actually – recovered pretty well and played pretty solid the remainder of the game. I'll go back to that week one rep against Chandler Jones, where he blocked Chandler Jones for five seconds. And to me, it was like, wow, McGlinchey might be turning the corner as a pass blocker. We have not seen the ability from him to consistently be a solid pass blocker. And when you block Chandler Jones for five consecutive seconds, that's a huge accomplishment. That's one of the best pass rushers in the game. And since that moment, since I gave, gave him that compliment, it's like every single week he does something that's like, McGlinchey, what are you doing? You're, you're so standing up t straight, straight up. You're so stiff, and you're just getting tossed around. What do you think about McGlinchey? During the, during the game, I felt like he was getting beat a lot mm -hmm. on his side. His, and it's shown the first three weeks he's been getting beat. And at one point I was thinking, man, when Western Richburg comes back, do we put uh, Richburg at center and move Garland over to uh, guard and have Brunskill step out and play right tackle? Or do we keep our interior the same and allow Justin School to step in and play right tackle? Because Mike McGlinchey could be a big reason this offense does not hit full potential and stride going into the, ma the main part of our season, which is a difficult stretch of good teams we're playing. So... I'm kind of worried about that side because Mike McGinch is a good run blocker, but he has not shown anything in pass protection. Mm -hmm. And my biggest problem with McGlinchy, going back to him being a top 10 draft selection, is you just don't draft someone that's strictly a right tackle in the top 10. And I was hopeful that McGlinchy might be able to kick over to the left side and each and every week. He's proving more and more that that's not going to be the case, that he's stuck there on the right side. He can't make that transfer to the left side, which means you're going to have to pay Trent Williams a lot of money, who's an absolute stud, by the way, and needs to be locked up tomorrow morning. I don't know what the team is waiting for by not extending him. He's the anchor of the offensive line right now, but McGlinchey has been a disappointment. He has his blocks in the run game. He's made a few nice blocks off screen plays as well, similar to Ben Garland. So overall, all things considered, Mike McGlinchey's definitely having a down year. Yeah, having a down year. But also, I wonder what it could be because he came into the season a lot slimmer than before. Could that be a reason why he's not? Like, it's just weird. Like, you don't go from being a, a decent pass blocker to being pretty poor right now. So it's one of those things we have to keep an eye out on. So hopefully Joe Staley or someone like that reaches out to him. Joe Staley's his great friend. Hopefully he gets in his ear, gives him some pros, which I'm sure he'll do, knowing the relationship that Staley and McGlinchey had. But he's wearing that captain 
patch on his chest. He needs to elevate his play moving forward. Just like you said, you nailed it on the head. He can hold back this offense in the passing game and hold back the offense from reaching their full potential if he continues to play how we've seen over the course of the first three weeks. Let's move on to the defensive side of the ball. Let's talk about the defensive line in general. Kerry Hyder, another undrafted free agent, week after week is just all over the field making plays time and time again. He had a handful of pressures, a quarterback hit, a sack. Guy's a baller. Uh, he's definitely a baller. I'm surprised because when we signed him, I thought it was going to be um, a rotational guy at best. But he's showing he, can, he has starting potential even when Ronald Blair comes back. It's going to be one of those guys where do we keep Kerry Hyder on the outside or do we play someone else? And I think Kerry Hyder has done a well enough job to be in contention for starting out, uh, starting edge player on when Ronald Blair comes back. Yeah, I agree with that. And Kerry Hyder, he's been inside and outside. I love his versatility, his versatility, excuse me, on the defensive line. He's off to an extremely hot start this season. This season, Kevin Givens, another undrafted free agent, was doing some things, had a quarterback pressure, had a couple plays in the run game. Let's talk about a drafted guy. The 14th overall pick, Javon Kinlaw. What do you think about Kinlaw today? He's he's growing every week, every, every week, and he has such high potential. When when I when the draft came out, I do my little thing where I watch all the first round picks that I could potentially see the 49ers taking, as well as a lot of other people. And I thought Javon Kinlaw was a top seven pick in the NFL draft. Um his his run game, run defense is incredible. There were so many times where he stood up double teams where he recognized a – so that when you're down blocking and he throws the center over and he had a nice uh, tackle for a loss, and his pass, his pass rush is starting to pick up a little bit, and I'm liking what I'm seeing. He's starting to get a little bit more of handsy and mm-hmm. uh, fighting with his hands, and it's, it's really nice. So I watched the game twice. I watched it live. Then I watched the condensed version on Game Pass. And his pass rushing moves, he's just shoving offense alignment off him. On the very first play of the game today, he stuffed Wayne Gallman in the backfield. On the very first play, he was jumping off the screen quite frequently today. He had a nice deflection on a third and eight in the second quarter when the Giants were driving. The Giants were driving down the field. I believe the score was six to three at this point. And Kinlaw got a deflection, Giants kick a field goal, make it 6-6. But if he doesn't get that stop right there, that deflection, who knows what happens. Very impressed with Javon Kinlaw today. Didn't get a sack. I thought, I really thought he would get his first career sack today, but he was still extremely disruptive. Had a very solid game. Looking at other players on the defensive line, there's so many names, which is so impressive considering this team just lost Nick Bosa and Solomon Thomas of guys who contributed today. Deion Jordan had a sack, a fumble recovery. We talked about Kevin Givens a little bit. We talked about Kerry Hyder. Ziggy Anza, he was involved in the play where Fred Warner got the interception where he picked off Daniel Jones. Eric Armstead, who I haven't mentioned yet, and Ziggy Anza kind of combined on this pressure where they got in Jones' face to close out the first half. Fred Warner picked off the pass. So all these additions and guys that seemingly came out of nowhere are all contributing for the 49ers defensive line. Chris Kosurik's doing a great job with the players at his position. And the defensive line has not taken that step back yet, despite the loss of Nick Bosa. Yeah, it's kind of 
So when I when I think of the defensive line, I think of a phrase that the Golden State Warriors used to use, or they still do actually, strength in numbers. So like when it. I think of that defensive line, it's like, okay, there's so many guys. I mean, we don't have that elite top tier defensive lineman on the D-line right now. But there's so many very good ones that you could go ahead and rotate them constantly, and you're going to get production out of all of them. So, like, you're talking about Kevin Gibbons. I think he's the most underrated player on the 49ers team right now. He's really, really good. Kevin Gibbons, underrated. Let's talk about someone who is becoming the absolute star of the 49ers defense, Mr. Fred Warner, a.k.a. soon-to-be All-Pro. He's an absolute stud. Led the team in tackles again today, flying all over the field. Soon as a guy catches the ball, here comes Fred Warner getting ready to hit him. Had a couple nice blitzes. I want to talk about the blitzing that's going on with this team a little bit. I thought Robert Sala had an unbelievable game again today. I love the blitzes that he's been calling. You see Kwan Williams coming in from the slot. Jimmy Ward coming in down the middle, blitzing as a free safety. Fred Warner coming in on these stunts. Quan Alexander. Back to Fred Warner. He's balling out. I don't see how we cannot be a pro bowler at least, if not an all-pro. Yeah, I think Fred Warner has put himself in the contention and put his name there with the best linebackers in the NFL. Um, last week on our episode to preview the, the game, I said I thought Fred Warner was getting interception. and You, na- sure you enough, nailed that one. You nailed the it. Re- the reason why I thought that is because Fred, Fred Warner is such a smart guy. He likes to read the quarterback, and he reacts. And he actually said – Jaquaski told them, hey, this play is coming. And they actually went over this play a lot in practice. So he knew the interception was coming. But like you said about Robert Sala, the reason why all the blitz scheme is coming is because he's starting to play a little bit more man-to-man. And he knows he doesn't have great corners. So he knows he needs to get a pass rush. And we don't have the pass rush without Nick Bosa. So he has to scheme it up. And that's what I like about Robert Sala. And I had said before, Robert Sala is going to be the key to success and it's going to show if whether he's head coach material or not. And so far, Robert Sala has shown to me he's head coach material because he's allowing his scheme to become even better. He's not just running his cover three zone scheme. He runs. He's I've seen him run a couple of uh, two man high looks. I'm sending pressure. It's a lot more efficient getting the job done than being 90, 95% cover three zone. Going back to 2018, the team didn't have Nick Bosa, didn't have D Ford, and what myself and a lot of others felt like were that the pass rush, the additions of Nick Bosa and D Ford are what completely transformed the defense. So now that you're without those two guys, this really puts Robert Sala up to the task. How is he going to finish out this season without having his two best pass rushers? He's off to a good start right now, allowing under, or excuse me, Giants scored under 10 points a day. The Jets scored 13 last week. So the defense still looks extremely good. They do a tremendous job looking at the secondary, not allowing the deep ball, keeping everything underneath. Jimmy Ward and Jaquaski Tar, I feel like safety is one of those positions where if you're not talking about the guys are doing a good job. You know, they're not getting burnt deep. They're keeping everything underneath. They're very sound football players that work so well together. High school teammates, that's a cool little tidbit right there. Jimmy Ward, Jaquaski Tart were teammates in high school. That's a cool story. Tart is a free agent at the end of the year. And as this year progresses, I think he's an essential player to bring back. You want to have that continuity between your safeties. The fall off between Marcel Harris and 
Jaquaski Tart is pretty significant. I don't know if Jonathan Cyprian can find himself in the midst. You're, you disagree. I see you're shaking your head there. Go yeah. ahead. Disagree I, I, I disagree with that. I disagree. I, I think I think Marshall Harris is is capable of doing everything Jaquaski Tart does. He's everyone likes to. There's a narrative about Marshall Harris that he's not a good player in pass coverage due to the game he had against the Saints. But Marshall Harris is really really good in pass coverage as well in the run game. Harris, he makes plays. I'll give him credit. He is a playmaker. He's forced a handful of fumbles. I believe he forced a fumble today. Dante Johnson was in the midst too, in the mix of that play, but they gave the forced fumble credit to Marcel Harris. He had the strip on Lamar Jackson last year. When he's in the game, he does make plays. I believe Tart's a high quality in the box safety. It's going to be interesting because they already gave Jimmy Ward the big contract. You might, you don't really have the luxury to bring back tart unless you restructure a few contracts you really have to prioritize who you're bringing back next year but i'd be willing to argue tart is more important to bring back than richard sherman sherman's getting old he's slowing down as long as that front seven and pass rush stays all and you could make that same argument against jaguarski tart that it doesn't matter necessarily matter who's in the secondary as long as the pass rush is effective and efficient and they're consistently applying pressure but the way I see it, Sherman plays a very expensive premium position. He's going to want, I'd assume he's going to want double-digit millions, whereas you could probably have Tart at a similar salary as Jimmy Ward. Again, the 49ers are extremely tight cap-wise next year. So we'll see what happens on that front. But I hope this team finds a way to bring back Tart. Let's keep things talking we'll continue the conversation regarding players in the secondary let's talk jason verrett who shut me up real quick because i've been a hater of jason verrett for the last couple of years now just dissing him for his inability to stay healthy when he is healthy he's on the field he's getting burnt like toast he held his own today and played with some swagger actually last week i, I disrespected him i gotta take that back i apologize jason <laughs> verrett um, I, I said he shouldn't play because I don't want him to get hurt because of that hamstring injury that he was coming off of. That's the only reason. I, I, mean, I think he's a baller when healthy. Um, I loved, I loved his tape when we signed him. I thought it was going to be a great addition to Richard Sherman. But when he's been un, uh, not healthy and been injury prone and he's finally getting healthy, I think we're going to have a really good tandem of Richard Sherman and Jason Red on the other side. I think Mosley will keep himself in that discussion as well. But having a capable outside corner, because the 49ers are thin at that position. Injuries aside, it's not particularly a talented group. So if Verrett can revert to his old Pro Bowl form, that's a huge bonus that no one really saw coming. If you look at guys like Jarek McKinnon, Jordan Reed, how fitting would it be if Jason Verrett joins that party and just steps up while all these other 49ers are injured. Like I said, he shut me up real quick because I was joking around on Twitter today once Mosley left the game that a personal nightmare of mine seeing Dante Johnson and Jason Verrett on the field at the same time as outside corners came true. I have nightmares about that. There's Dante Johnson, I don't know how he's still in the league, but give him credit too. He held his own today and was not picked on as much as I thought he was going to be. So Jason Verrett, absolute feel-good story, right in line with McKinnon and Reed. And he had this one drive, the first drive of the second half when the Giants got the ball. He had a 
pass breakup on the very first play of the third quarter, and then a couple plays later in that series was in on a tackle for loss on a pitch where Fred Warner and Verrett had a great job getting containment on the edge, took the running back down for a loss, and then there was a screen thrown the very next play, and Verrett just blew it up and just comes up banging his chest. And I love seeing guys playing with that sort of edginess, moxie, and swagger. Good for Verrett. He looked great today. And like we talked about, if healthy, he's going to be a huge bonus in the secondary down the road. Oh, yeah, it's huge. I love I loved the swagger he played with today because that shows that he could bring his juice and the team needs players to bring their juice. And that's the thing that I liked about Jason Verrett today. He challenged everyone who was in front of him. He ran stride, uh, stride to stride with, I believe, Slayton downfield. Um, so that's, that's good to see because Slayton's a deep threat. And if you're running side by side to one of the deep threats on another team, like nothing, that's good signs. So now we could do a lot more things. Now, if Kyle Shanahan wants to go man-to-man, we could do man We could play a lot more man and have Kwan Williams, Emmanuel Mosley, Jason Verrett, and Richard Sherman all in the field at one time. So you have a lot more variety to pick from and scheme up more things than you could do prior because a killer Witherspoon is strictly an outside corner and he's limited to what he can do right now. Mom. Witherspoon is a huge loser of today, in my opinion. He lost out on a huge opportunity because I was talking about going into last week's game that this is a major opportunity of him to make some money. He's a he's in a contract year, set to hit the market, and he had three games where Richard Sherman was for sure going to be out, and he had an opportunity to make some plays. Unfortunately, he got hurt, but he's not going to get that number three or even number two corner spot back with the way Jason Verrett played today. Kyle Shanahan's clearly pulling for Jason Verrett, and he did a good job meeting Kyle's expectations because he's a player that Shanahan really hypes up. I want to make sure I'm making it a point of emphasis to touch on all these undrafted free agents that contributed today. So we're focusing on the defensive side of the ball right now. Let's talk very briefly because he didn't do much. Aziz Alshair, undrafted last year, went to Florida Atlantic, I want to say, made the team last year as an undrafted free agent. It was one mm-hmm. of those schools in Florida. I'm not 100% certain it was Florida Atlantic. Yeah, you're right. It was Florida Atlantic. Florida, oh, I always get Florida Atlantic and Florida International confused. But Aziz Alshire, he was involved. He wasn't the focal point of the play, but that fourth and one stop where Daniel Jones went for the quarterback sneak, he was in on that. Kinlaw, I wanted to give him credit for that earlier. He was one of the main guys that pushed back the offensive lineman that kind of claps that play and the 49ers are able to get the fourth in one stop. Demetrius Flanagan Foles, special teams guy, made a few plays today on special teams. Kwan Williams wasn't the 49ers find as far as when he was coming out of school, went undrafted out of Pittsburgh, signed with the Browns, had some weird things going on with the team where he just left playing for the Browns, was briefly with the Bears. And then John Lynch, one of the best signings John Lynch has made was signing Kwan Williams, who has been one of the best slot corners in the league for the last two seasons now. He had a big bounce back performance. He was getting picked on a little bit week one against the Cardinals. Last week was pretty solid. Today on one of the first third downs, I believe it was, for Daniel Jones. Golden Tate had a completion on Williams, but for the remainder of the game, he really buckled up and had tight coverage. Special teams-wise, 
what was going on with Kyle Nelson? You have one job, bro. One job. Just snap the ball 10 yards behind you into Mitch Wisnowski's hands. That's all you got to do. That's what you're getting paid for for a living. One job. Yeah, I, I was in shock once the second one happened because normally you'll see – there's times you'll see one happens. Or, okay, like, but like four times. They ended up sending Justin School into long snap. So <laughs> that's going to be something that potentially could – Kyle Nelson might not have a job after this week. I Yes, I was – I didn't catch it the first time that Justin School came in to replace him as a long snapper. It slipped me. I don't know if I transferred over to NFL Red Zone or how I missed that. But when I rewatched the game, I was like, he was that bad that he got benched. You're a long snapper with one sole responsibility. One responsibility. And like how you touched on, he might not have a job tomorrow. We'll see yeah. what happens. But he was awful. There was one play, I want to say it was after the Jeff Wilson Jr. touchdown, the first one. He had a horrible snap to Mitch Wisnowski. Wisnowski tries to make something out of nothing, gets his face mask yanked. He's lucky he didn't get hurt. He oh, yeah. really jeopardized, he being Kyle Nelson, jeopardized the safety of Wisnowski time and time again. He's the only punter we have, dude. What are you doing? Just give him the ball. And then, so there was a 15-yard penalty on that. He snaps the very next play awful again. Anyway, that's enough long snapper talk, but Kyle Nelson was atrocious, and he's for sure – going to end up on my Sports Illustrated dud list. Weekly, I do weekly studs and duds for Sports Illustrated in regards to the 49ers. There wasn't a lot of dud performances today, but Kyle Nelson was one of them. It was the worst long snapping performance I've ever seen. Oh, yeah, and he, he earned his way to the dud, dud spot on your, on your article this week because to <laughs> snap, like in order to make a dud list, you have to earn that spot. Like You have to really be a dud. And Kyle Nelson was terrible today. It was just absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, I've never seen that awful of a long snap performance in my life. Like you've seen long snappers have a bad snap in big moments. You know, there was a couple Seattle in the playoffs. I don't remember if it worked in favor of them way many years ago. You know, it might've been with Tony Romo against Dallas and there was a bad snap. Anyway, I'm not sure if I'm recalling that correctly, but, We've seen bad snaps from long snappers in big moments, but I've never seen five, six snaps in one single game go so horribly wrong. All right, that's enough about Kyle Nelson. I'm sure he already feels terrible about his performance today. He doesn't need the most popular sports podcast and all the land getting on him as well. Um, <laughs> let's talk about moving forward next week. If Jimmy Garoppolo is healthy, do you go – because if he's not healthy, obviously you're going to start Nick Mullins. If Garoppolo is healthy, do you go with the hot hand in Nick Mullins? No. There's just no question. of there's, there's no debate on it, man. No. You, you, the hot hand is Jimmy Garoppolo. Look what he did against the Jets in the first half. That's a hot hand, man. So when people are like – because I had a few text messages and a few direct messages on Twitter saying – we have our new quarterback, Nick. No, we don't. <laughs> like, yeah. No, just stop, please, for the love of Christ, just stop. What do you think? Going into this game, I said Nick Mullins is going to play well enough to spark a quarterback controversy down the road, which I believe he's going to do right now. 
everybody, most people, if you're following the team as closely as a lot of the 49ers community are, fans within the community, they know that this was a spot start for Nick Mullins. It's his job to be a backup, ready to go whenever his number's called, and that's it. So Garoppolo should start if he's healthy on Sunday. But the reason why I say this might turn into a quarterback controversy down the road is that if Garoppolo has another performance like he did against the Cardinals, everybody's going to immediately turn back to this great outing from Nick Mullins and be like, we want that guy playing. So I don't think it's a quarterback controversy yet, but it certainly has all the ability to develop into one. Grant Cohn brought up the point today that Jimmy Garoppolo is making $26, $27 million more than Nick Mullins. Is it really worth having a quarterback take up that much of your cap hit, that much of your cap percentage? If you have such a high-quality backup, who's a backup right now, he might start on a handful of other teams. He probably would start on a handful of other teams. One thing I'll add to this, the reason why I start Garoppolo if he's healthy, and I truly do hope that he's healthy, is I question the mental toughness, the psyche of Jimmy Garoppolo a little bit. I do believe that that Super Bowl overthrow was in his head to begin the season. He spent all offseason dwelling on it. And of course, you can use that as motivation. So where I'm going with this is that if Nick Mullins continues to put up these huge performances, it's going to mess with Garoppolo's head. He's going to hear the whispers of people saying, let's get Nick Mullins in there. We want Mullins. We want Mullins. So for his own sake, I hope he just comes back next week, has a strong performance. So everybody just kind of forgets about this magnificent performance from Mullins, because if Mullins goes out there and for lack of a better term, kicks ass again, Garoppolo is going to feel the pressure and how much pressure do you want to have on Garoppolo riding on his shoulders? But again, that's what good NFL players do. You live up and exceed that pressure. You don't let the pressure get to you. Like Javon Kinlaw said about adversity, adversity, you go out there and punch it in the face. And that's what Jimmy Garoppolo has got to do to this pressure. So I hope he plays on Sunday against the Eagles, but if he's, and that's only if he's healthy, because if he's not, the Eagles don't look very good. They tied today with an 0-2 Cincinnati Bengals team. Carson Wentz does not look the same. So I like the 49ers' chances with Nick Mullins, but again, it's my opinion. You have to start Garoppolo if he's healthy. Yeah, I agree. I mean, so when you bring up the cap number, I don't think there's a quarterback controversy yet, like you said, this year. No, you ride with you ride with Jimmy Garoppolo. That's your guy. Like, you ride with him till the wheels fall off is what I'm kind of going with. But in the offseason, if you ask me this question, I might say, yeah, because of the cap hit, the cap space that we have to work with. Nick Mullins is a good enough quarterback. And there's a couple quarterbacks in the draft that I like. And there's that's a thing that if Kyle and John always talk about, if you could get better at a position, then do it. Mm-hmm. So for me, if they could roll with Nick Mullins as a, a year quarterback and then trade him on a franchise tag eventually and bring in another quarterback, then maybe in the summer I might be thinking about that because there's a lot of scenarios that could happen for a quarterback like Nick Mullins because he's a, mm-hmm. a capable quarterback. But right now, Jimmy Garoppolo is a quarterback and his talent level is way more than of Nick Mullins. It's hard for me to gauge because ever since Mullins stepped foot in the offense, 
He has nine career starts now, is four and five throughout his career. He puts up numbers. And in 2018, if that 2018 team had the defense that they have today, who knows what kind of record he'd finish with. But his yards per attempt, yards per completion are right on par with Jimmy Garoppolo. And what's set them apart is Garoppolo has been fantastic on third down. And Mullins was fantastic on third down today. So not even getting into the offseason just yet. If Garoppolo has even just one poor performance, there's going to be the Mullins whispers. That's what I'm trying to say, you know, without looking too far into the offseason. But you just need Garoppolo to perform at the level we saw last year for the remainder of this season. He is the most, you could even argue Nick Mullins now, between the both of them. The quarterback position, of course, is most important for every single team. But right now, there's no defense. Well, the defense looks good, but without Bosa and without Ford, who knows when he's coming back, you can expect the defense to take a step or two back and not be at that tip top tier that we saw last year, which just means Garoppolo is going to need to deliver or Mullins, whoever's in. But the quarterback position needs to carry this team. And both guys look capable of doing it, which is pretty wild. It's a good problem to have until it's not. It was overall a good day for the 49ers. It could have been a perfect day, absolutely perfect day, all things considered, if the Cowboys were able to take down the Seahawks. They were not. The Seahawks marched right down the field to end the game on a DK Madcap touchdown following what was a Greg Zerline field goal, which put the Cowboys up. You had the Bills blow a 28-3 lead against the Rams only to come back and win the game. The Cardinals took their first L of the year against the Lions. So for the first time all year, the 49ers are not alone in the cellar. They're 2-1 and one, along with the Rams, the Cardinals, and the Seahawks, who have major flaws on the defensive side of the ball. They're only going to be able to continue to outscore teams for so long, are 3-0 and oh right now. So all things considered, a great day for the 49ers. A bunch of afterthoughts being the undrafted free agents came out there and just dismantled the Giants, which you love to see. 49ers are 2-1. and one. They trail the Seahawks, who are 3-0. and oh. yep. Eagles next week on Sunday night football. Sunday night football, prime time. Mullins or Garoppolo will know, more, will know more Excuse me, throughout the week. But it's the second consecutive victory Monday. It's going to be a nice week leading up to that Sunday night football game. We'll have a week four preview Thursday night live here on Twitter, Facebook, Periscope. Podcast will be up the following morning on all major platforms. Thanks for tuning in to the Faithful Fanatic podcast. Nick and Marco are out of here.